Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Rasha Hassani, VP of Innovation at Train Technologies. Train Technologies is what Rasha likes to call the newest old company. This company has been around for years, and today it does billions and billions of dollars. But the reason why she considers Train to be new is because recently, the organization did a complete restructuring. And if you look into their site now, they have positioned themselves as the leading climate innovation company. And the reason why they feel equipped to position themselves that way is because what they do is part of one of the biggest problem areas across the entire climate problem set, and that's heating and cooling. And so in the episode, Russia and I will discuss what train is and how exactly they're reorganizing to be the climate innovator of the 21st century, their company's gigaton challenge, and why they're uniquely equipped to take that on, her prerogative as the executive director of the Center for Healthy and Efficient Spaces, and finally, the massive impact potential for a company like Train Technologies. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Rasha Hassani, the VP of Innovation of Train Technologies. Rasha, welcome to the show. Hi, Peter. Thank you for having me. So we have a lot of ground to cover today. Train Technologies is this (laughs) Herculean company with so many awesome things that are underneath the umbrella. But if we set the stage for the listeners, what is Train Technologies? Uh, sure. That's that's like the fundamental question of, of, of existence, right? So like I like to refer to train technologies as um, the, the newest old company uh, around. Uh, so train technologies was formed uh, actually a little over a year ago, just before the pandemic, when uh, Ingersoll Rand was split. Now, English, Ingersoll Rand had sort of two big sectors, an industrial sector and a climate sector. The industrial sector really did things like compressed air, power tools. um, And then the climate sector just did a lot of things around um, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, refrigeration, um, et cetera. And and so when the company split about a year ago, uh, it turns out that all of the industrial products go to market under the name Ingersoll Rand. So the brand kind of went with the industrial businesses. And so what was left was really a focused climate uh, company um, that was then rebranded under a train as, as train technology. So essentially, you know, we call ourselves a global climate innovator. We're, uh, we're in the um, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and refrigeration business. We underneath us, they're underneath the train technologies brand. We have what we call our strategic brands, which is train American standard, um, for um, for HVAC and then um, and then Thermaking and and a couple of sub sub brands there under refrigeration and really our job is to either make things colder than it is outside or make things warmer than than it is outside. Wow, um, <laughs> Rasha, thank you for for the recap. And I love the positioning, right? The newest <laughs> old company. That's the soundbite I'll be using. There, there you um, go. <laughs> 
So when we first connected um, and before we, we hit record here, I mentioned that one of the more interesting pieces of how train communicates with the world, you can see right, right at the top, sustainability. And then underneath sustainability, you have something called the Gigaton Challenge. Mm-hmm. Can you quickly brief the listeners on what the Gigaton Challenge is and why train is uniquely positioned to help solve or bring that home? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so train, um, w- w- you know, when train technologies really started to emerge um, as as a brand. Um, what became very, very clear was that sustainability and climate change was really at the core of our purpose. And so so we go to market and we focus on uh, truly sustainable uh, solutions for our customers. And as part of that, we we you know, we've recently recommitted to um, to sustainability goals of which the greenhouse, the 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 gigaton challenge, um, is is uh, one part, and it's by far, I think, the the biggest uh, and sort of most talked about part of of what we do. And what we've done is we've committed to reducing the carbon emissions of our customers. So in in uh, geeky climate speak, our scope three emissions um, by um, by a gigaton by twenty thirty. And, and the reason we feel we have a big role to play in that is that um, think about the built environment um, and, and buildings really accounting for about 40% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And with HVAC being about 40% um, of, of, um, of the energy consumed in those buildings, you can imagine how, how m- multiplicative innovation in this space can be. In addition, you know, the HVAC and refrigeration industries use, you know, use refrigerants. And if you look at sort of Project Drawdown, which is where we we spend some of our time really trying to get our arms around how we can impact climate, you see they're not sort of their number one path to drawdown is reduction um, in the greenhouse ga- greenhouse warming potential of refrigerants, which we're we're very committed to doing. And so, you know, when you take into account you know how much energy efficiency can impact when you have such a big um, install base. When you take into account refrigeration, and then of course you take into account some other pathways like food loss um, and food waste, which accounts for about eight percent of greenhouse gas emissions globally. And with our Thermo King business really focused on transport refrigeration and transporting um, food, vaccines, and other pharmaceuticals and other. Um, and, and and other refrigerated products, you see that there's a path to getting to this really large reduction um, in in, um, in in greenhouse gas emissions for our customers through the use of advanced products and services, um, advanced uh, systems and solutions, and for for us to really help our customers innovate in that space. And and we do have um, some real sustainability pathways. We've we've been recently um, certified for the second time. Um, for the science with the science-based targets um, group, so we've we've now um, declared our science-based targets with the pathways that we've identified, and we feel like we have uh, we have a way to get to the gigaton. Wow! So before we segue into uh, your sweet spot with the indoor environment and all the different systems required to get 
to kind of healthy, cleaner living. On the refrigerant side of things, I, I'd love to highlight exactly what that is. We actually, it's a topic we haven't explored mm-hmm. on the pod before. So maybe just quickly demystify what that is and uh-huh. how it manifests in some of these kind of age-old industries, like moving product yeah. from point A to B inside of buildings. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. does that look today? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, a, a traditional um, HVAC system, um, a, a, a traditional, even your refrigerator or, or a refrigeration unit on on the on the front of a trailer, uh, moving food, or even a refrigeration unit on a big marine container, moving sort of frozen fish across the across the ocean, um, operates on something called a vapor compression cycle, and it uses um, essentially chemicals called refrigerants to pull heat out of the space you want to condition and then reject it back into the atmosphere and his and re- reject the heat back into the atmosphere. And it goes, it's sort of a closed loop cycle where they absorbs heat from one area and rejects it another area. And you do that by compressing the va- compressing vapor and then allowing it to expand. And so refrigerants are these chemicals that are capable of absorbing a lot of heat quickly um, out of the space you want to condition and then releasing it quickly uh, through this compression and expansion. That's why they call it vapor compression um, through the cycle. And historically, in order for them to be able to do that, if they were to somehow leak into the atmosphere, they would create um, a much, what we call much higher global warming potential. So they use, if, if, if carbon dioxide has a global warming potential of like one different, and that's you know, that's kind of the benchmark. Different substances can cause more or less warming than that. And typically refrigerants have had very, very high global warming potential. That means a pound of refrigerant released compared into the atmosphere compared to a pound of CO2 released in the atmosphere, that refrigerant would cause way more warming. And so our goal with with um, with lower um, a global warming potential or GWP refrigerants is to really start to bring those numbers down just in case there's any release or leakage into the atmosphere that that doesn't have um, as big an, an impact. Now, we do have what we call refrigerant reclamation programs where we minimize you know, venting, minimize leakage. You know, we've got a lot of innovation in that space. All of that goes towards this, but unless you have a very solid sort of tracking, you still, you can't take credit for for that, right? It's just such a high risk that something will be vented or released in the atmosphere. So we're very, very, very focused on, um, on two things. The first is really reducing, you know, continuing to drive really efficient cooling, with the lowest possible um, GWP refrigerant as possible, and then really innovating in the in the area of um, refrigerant tracking and reclamation to make sure none of that gets you know whatever we do use doesn't get into the atmosphere. And for uh, the people listening, I mean, if you go to Project Drawdown's website, I love that you you reference them. Yeah, it is. Number one. It is on number one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so the uh, the opportunity for train to really make an impact on a global scale is, is quite large. It is. And I think if you look at, you know, I, what I find um, interesting about what you do, you know, VP of innovation and also the executive director 
of the Center for Healthy and Efficient Spaces. And I think what people are coming to to realize is that healthy mm-hmm. and efficient kind of go hand in hand. And so that, like you look that's at correct. Um, that problem area and the list of, of opportunities for, for you and your team, I'm curious, at, at the highest level, mm-hmm. what is this center and mm-hmm. what is the center's prerogative? Like what is the yep. kind of winning criteria over the next 10 years? Like you have to do X, which will mean success for, for train and, and the entire team. Absolutely. So what I would say is maybe let's rewind to pre-pandemic. I don't know if anyone can remember pre-pandemic. It's been so long. Energy efficiency was really top of mind for a lot of the market, really a lot of the built environment for a lot of the reasons we we've heard about, Um, you know, um, as the pit. So so when we when we would talk to our customers, when we would hear about um, things coming out of the industry, it was always about more efficient, more effective buildings. Um, We've known about the impact of being indoors for a long time and its impact on things like health and productivity, but it's always been sort of an accepted fact. Um, And we'll talk about that in a minute. But when the pandemic hit and you started to hear about, um, about people having to stay home and closing buildings and don't be close to people because of infection rates, the market became more and more sensitized to the impact of air quality on um, not just pathogen transmission, but also on health in general. And we had, you know, we've had an indoor air quality type, um, we've had indoor air quality um, practices in our business across the different brands for a number of years, Um, but it's been sort of limited uptake, I would say, in the market. It hasn't been huge priority because a lot of times that requires investment either up front or in or in energy. But when the pandemic hit, then it became very, very clear that that the market needed to focus a little bit more about in on indoor air quality. And once you started to think about indoor air quality, the rest of the indoor environment came into sharp relief. And so the Center for Healthy and Efficient Spaces was really uh, uh, put in place. Uh, to galvanize the organization around around balancing this energy efficiency and sustainability, which we've been laser focused on, with the need for for really healthy indoor spaces. And the reason we did it this way is because if you use some traditional methods to improve air quality, so you know, bring in more outdoor air, open a window, um, increase ventilation, put put more, you know, um, uh, higher quality filters, all of these things come at an, at an energy cost. Just think about when you open the window in your house and your AC is running, like just think back to your, you know, if you had air conditioning in your mom's house or your grandma's house and it's like, close the window, the AC's on or turn off the AC, <laughs> the window's open, right? We all intuitively know it's more energy. If you, if you ventilate, if you bring in outdoor air or like, as my mom used to say, we're conditioning the entire world when we open the window and keep the AC on, right? Because because you use more energy that way. And so very traditional approaches tend to be more energy intensive. And so in order for us to get those really great benefits of having high quality indoor environments and energy efficiency, we really have to innovate in the space and come up with energy efficient alternatives 
to recycling and conditioning outside air in a way that allows us to have both healthy and efficient spaces. And that's really what we've been what we've been trying to do. Um, and I would say, look, uh, it also sort of plays to this really interesting um, research has been around for a long time, but has recently gotten a lot of focus around really the cost of unhealthy indoor spaces. And you think about all of the elements of indoor environmental quality, um, air being one of them. Um, just think about how many lost, uh, how many lost days in terms of sick days of employees getting sick from each other inside an indoor space. Or, or my favorite is, you know, kids getting sick at school from each other and then bringing it home and making everyone sick. And then somebody takes it and makes everyone else sick in the office. And, and those, those sort of pathogen transmission pathways tied to air cost us billions of dollars in productivity a year. Just that, let alone the opportunities with um, acoustics, which is another you know big element of indoor environmental quality. We know that there's a loss in productivity when there's high no ambient noise. We know there's a loss of learning in schools when there's high ambient noise. Uh, cognitive functions are impacted by both noise, lighting, and air quality. Um, and then obviously there's, um, there's a lot of impact on productivity when it comes to thermal comfort. Too hot, too cold impacts cognitive function. So there's, there's been all these studies for, for years, very uh, focused peer-reviewed studies on this stuff, but bringing it all together and just looking at the business impact of poor indoor environmental quality in in sort of the harsh light of the pandemic has really made us all more aware of this. And the most important thing to do is not swing the pendulum the other direction and, and compromise energy efficiency, but to find those really innovative solutions that allow you to get both. Wow. Yeah, you make a really compelling case. And I think... Um, Something that I've been thinking a lot about is you have this kind of self-fulfilling uh, problem, whereas the climate warms, yeah, uh, the inclination to run your AC longer over more right. days of the year it goes up, yep, and so the urgency of the problem set is also the highest it's ever been. Yes, and so I'm curious as you lay out the highest impact potential areas mm -hmm. in your course of work, kind of your strike zone, mm -hmm. what are they? And then also um, we can, I'd I love to, to also mention like, what are some of the, the early wins that you mm -hmm. and the team have, have been able to nail down since yeah. organizing the center? Yeah, no, you bet. That's, that's a, that's a great question. And just to follow on from your point, which is, um, just think about just think about the second half of the cycle you just laid out, which is the climate warms. So I, I, I feel the need to condition the space more. So then I use more energy. So I burn more fossils. And so the climate warms more. And then I need to condition the space more. And so it's this vicious cycle. And what we're trying to do is really bend the curve on this by, by coming up with ways to one, um, cleanse air that's already conditioned to, you know, drive the adoption of solutions that allow for energy exchange when you do bring in outside air. And three, 
optimize thermal comfort, air quality, lighting, and, and sound around an occupant with some very occupant focused elements to allow for a less waste in the space. And if you can do those things just the right way, we believe you can really bend bend the curve on balancing energy efficiency and and sustainability. And and I would say, you know, because of the way the um the indoor air quality, think about air purifiers, right? Like if you go to the store now, like before, there's like a one, maybe two air purifiers just at Lowe's, right? And we're not even talking about commercial air purification, which is a huge industry. Uh, but it, it was, it was, it's very unregulated. There's not a lot of testing standards. We know there's like a HEPA filter. We know there's filter standards, and those have been around a long time. But any active air cleaning type solution, um, just Every, all these technologies work a little differently. And so you go back to the tried and true, but we know that the tried and true, whether it's HEPA filtration or, um, or, um, or as, as you hear people talk about, increasing what they call the MERV level of filters, increasing the quality and density of filters causes, um, it takes a lot of energy. There's a pressure drop across the filter. Think about putting your hand in front of a in front of a hose, right? You can feel that pressure, and that pressure consumes energy from the airflow. So your air conditioning has to work harder. What we've been able to do just in the last nine months as a team is we've been able to really go out and test side by side existing technologies that have been on the market for a long time with some innovations that we've announced a couple of, and and really test them in an environment that is very consistent with what our customers use. So, so we understand these indoor spaces as, as HVAC vendors, right? We design and size HVAC systems for all different kinds of buildings, for transit buses, for, um, for homes. And so nobody understands for example, airflow like we do. And so when we start to put those filters on top of these technologies that have been around for a long time, you know, there are some winners that start to emerge. We, you know, we announced partnership with Synexus earlier, earlier this year, um, looking at dry hydrogen peroxide. We've tested this in a large sort of, we've in a chamber that that essentially mimics the airflow in a in a room in a building, and and we've seen it look we've seen it do uh, reduce the load of of the pathogen or the viral load in um, in spaces. We've seen it work on surfaces for typical sort of building environments for an in space solution. You know, we've just announced um, a, a a new bus um, transit uh, air purification solution. Buses have a very unique environment with, with doors opening and closing in order to keep that space conditioned. We do a lot of what we call air changes. So we run, you know, we circulate the air a lot so we can keep that bus conditioned in light of opening and closing these doors. Well, not everything works. Not, 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 not all of these air purification devices will work in that in that environment, but we were able to find um, a, a fantastic solution out of out of Asia, uh, cut, sort of cutting edge. It's it's um, it's a it's a graphene enhanced uh, photocatalytic oxidation solution that allows it allows the air 
to really be be cleansed of not just pathogens, but things like volatile organic compounds, formaldehyde, et cetera. So we have these, you know, we've been able to uncover some really cool innovations, but we've also been able to really um, evaluate some of these technologies that have been on the market under the um, and in the application for which our customers are going to use them. And you're going to see a lot more innovations come out here shortly. But but we've been really excited about really using science and data and a holistic approach to indoor environmental quality to really drive um, the standards of the industry higher and higher so that we can get to that um, balance between healthy and efficient spaces and to make sure that when we recommend something to our customers that we that we're mod that we're modulating is it effective how effective is it in your particular instance what is the best solution to use versus you know a different situation where a different solution might work might work better so we're really excited about that um my my wheels are turning so much I think what I th- what I think fascinates me most around your opportunity to have impact is organizationally, mm-hmm. you look at the train umbrella, there's many, many brands that are large companies. I mean, like the mm-hmm. the train bandwidth, just mm-hmm. the breadth is much larger than virtually every company we've had in the show before. And, and mm-hmm. that's why when I look at the Center for Healthy and Efficient Spaces and and your prerogative for finding kind of the the next great innovation that's going to solve these challenges. I'm curious, like, do you have a large team that's R and Ding in house? Are you finding you know professors around the world mm-hmm. working on cool research? Like, you know, I'm I'm very curious to see mechanically, like, how are you running this center day to day, and how are you yeah. sourcing these great innovations for? the breadth of challenges you're working to solve? Yeah. So that that's a really, really great question, Peter. Um, the, the first thing I would, I think I'll, I'll kind of answer it in two parts. The first is really about the breadth and depth of the portfolio at Train. Um, it is a very broad portfolio. And the way we've been able to really focus what we do is by focusing on the occupant. And so if you follow an occupant through their day, they sort of start out at home and, and for a large um, a number of people globally, um, a lot of them will get on public transit. For sure, if they are um, among our most vulnerable population, they will get on public transit. Some will take their own vehicles. Um, and then they'll get to an office or they will get to a restaurant or they will get to a hospital, wherever it is they work. They'll go shopping. They maybe will eat out. Um, their kids will go to schools. Um, as you follow a person through their days, each of each of these elements of their day takes them in and through indoor environments that we will probably be conditioning. And so if, if you have air condition an air conditioning system at home, you're a you have the ability to control and and manage your indoor air and your indoor environmental quality at home. You know, we like I said, we introduced solutions for transit for our transit bus. We think we we've introduced solutions for school systems, uh, for schools. And the whole idea is as you focus on where an occupant has to be to really uh, live their lives, we focus on trying to create the best possible occupant experience, inc- with including things like you know, digital technologies that allow them to visualize the um, the indoor air quality or the indoor environmental quality. 
um, in which they're, they're, um, they're, they're sitting, they happen to be sitting at that time. They can make choices on where to go based on, based on the, on the, um, on the indoor environmental quality. So we're working to provide that level of transparency and focusing on the occupant that allows us to make something seemingly very big, make it be very simple and very focused on how are we making an occupant's life better by um, by focusing on on indoor air quality. So we don't have a huge team. We have a small team. We don't R and D the hell out of this, but we partner, um, and we partner across sort of three pillars. Is kind of how we organize ourselves. We have a, a pillar around assessing the indoor environmental quality of the space. And here we have services, but we're also looking at how do we think about technologies that allow you to quickly go into a space and assess how good the environment is. And so we're, we're partnering um, with, um, with sensing companies, but we also have um, some, some R&D and some capability in-house around modeling airflows, for example, in a space and visualizing if I were, if someone were to sneeze in this big ballroom at a hotel, for example, what would happen? And so we've got, you know, we're, so we're focused, we're focused on a combination of partnerships and in-house capability on the assess pillar. The second pillar is really once you've assessed the space, what is the most appropriate mitigation technology? Here we partner extensively. Um, we understand HVAC systems really, really well, and there are some fantastic partners, small innovators, universities, innovators that span that spun out from universities. We we talk to groups globally, um, not just in the U.S. And we look to incubate, you know, my little team looks to incubate and then scale these innovations should they prove out from a science and fact-based approach to be really effective. And that's really the mitigation strategies that we're going to recommend to our customers they put in place. And our final pillar is the manage pillar. And the reason we think about managing is because a space is constantly evolving, depending on who's in it, who's not in it, who's in it right now, who's in it tomorrow, and have I changed the purpose of that space? And so um, our manage pillar is really, really our sensing and digital optimization pillar. And here we're partnering from a sensing perspective, but we're, we're bringing in our own sort of capability and analytics around the types of mitigations being used and how to actively manage um, the, the air quality and the environmental quality in that space. And so for, for us, we are heavily reliant on partnerships. Our goal is to not, not make everything ourselves, but really to be the partner of choice for both our customers to help them with their um, indoor environmental quality strategies and approaches, but also for innovators and, and universities in the, in the marketplace that have really cool innovative technologies that are not that are helping us to bend the curve on energy efficiency and who really want to scale that and help really impact um, impact the world. Wow. Thank you for laying that out. Uh, Rasha, I'd, I'd love to actually give you the mic and give kind of like a quasi informal RFP. Like, you know, you, you have your, your eyes and your, and your fingers on the pulse of this wide breadth of challenges, which are great opportunities for smart people. 
Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of builders that tune in kind of Mm -hmm. looking, hey, is this a problem that I want to start tinkering on? Are there any, you know, one, two, three problems that uh, you want to get someone's wheels turning? Uh, Anything on the RFP or request for experimentation side, uh, I'd love to hear kind of or give you the mic or the floor to, to do so. Sure. I'm going to, I'm just, I'll ask a clarifying question. Are you talking about somebody out there who maybe has a solution or are you talking about somebody who's building a building when you talk about uh, builders? Oh, actually. So I, I wasn't thinking about the latter, but okay. I, I, I will, I will leave it open to both. So I think it's on right. one side, you have a tinkerer that wants to start, you know, yeah. putting their wits to solving a problem or builders that are um, saying, Hey, you know, we, we'd love to, to, to do this, but ah, there's no solution available yet. So any yeah. of the above. Yeah. Now, so let me start with sort of um, innovators who are kind of out there um, who may be interested in um, in this space. Like this is um, while this space has been a lot around for a long time. Um, there are a lot of technologies out there that have really um, that that are really sort of. Um, I would say coming into their own in terms of being really truly scalable and effective in these very um, large um, sort of buildings. Um, what I would say is um, there are still gaps, right? We still have a hard time truly measuring um, efficacy because the sensing technology on things like pathogens isn't isn't there yet. So we use proxies for that. Um, when it comes to mitigation um, technologies, there's always, you know, trade-offs. And so how do we manage, you know, the big question we, we constantly try to answer is how do we get the highest sort of level of, of efficacy, like the thing that kills viruses and eliminates volatile organic compounds and all icky stuff in recycled air in a way that doesn't produce its own sort of byproducts. So, so a lot of these processes will produce um, um, byproducts. And, and it's not an easy problem to solve because every building's a little different depending on the construction of the building, how old the building is. You don't know what some of these things are interacting with. So there still is no silver bullet for us on, on any of these um, technologies. And then I, I would say on the, on the assessment pillar, really the, the ability to easily, I mean, right now, just to visualize the airflow in a space is you know, two to three weeks and a couple of PhDs and some sophisticated software, but re- a really simple and easy way to help us visualize, you know, help us help our customers and the occupants really visualize the air around them um, and, and give them really that confidence. We are always on the lookout for innovators in this space. And the most important thing for us is that there's something really net new there, but also that it is not something that's going to compromise sort of the energy efficiency of the system by inserting it, right? So we've turned away innovation that, you know, you can heat anything enough to kill stuff in it. Like seriously, if you heat anything, you know, make it hot enough, nothing will survive and everything will oxidize, but you'll consume a lot of energy. And so the idea is, you know, what are those things that are really going to allow us to deliver both healthy spaces, but also spaces that don't compromise 
um, the energy efficiency um, of the system. Mm -hmm. That's really on the innovator side. I would say on the builder side, you know, the most important thing to to think about is um, we believe that um, that what we have learned as a society during the pandemic, we won't unlearn. And people will be more and more sensitized as as they go into spaces around their indoor environments. And so, you know, when you start to think about builders, um, whether you're, you know, building a new commercial building, whether you're building homes, whether you're installing a new, hopefully electric bus, transit fleet, right? Um, the, the, the need to invest early um, to ensure that those indoor, those indoor spaces are optimized um, for what they're being used for I think is important. And I think it's going to become a demand driver over time. So I think as more and more occupants learn about um, about the, the impact of indoor air and indoor environments on their own health and their own productivity, the more they're going to demand. Just like, um, just like you've seen a lot uh, recently, you know, um, tenants and, and um, building occupants demanding more sustainable features in their home. It, they're energy efficient, number one. But number two, it, you know, there's a lot of purpose focused um, uh, people as they as people have learned more about climate change. We're going to see I believe we're going to see the same thing um, when it comes to healthy spaces and people are going to vote where they're going to go based on how um, how well um, or how healthy the space is. And so I urge, mm-hmm. you know, builders and, and, and developers and people who are really thinking about the space of the future to really think about how to make those spaces as healthy as possible and to allow them to be flexible enough to, to ebb and flow with whatever the, you know, whatever the, the use of that space is. Mm-hmm. I love, 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 love about not being able to unlearn um, what we've seen over the past year in the past month, actually here, I'm, I'm here in New York city, the building rolled out a product called grid rewards, mm-hmm. which is, uh, uh, are you familiar with grid rewards? No. So it, it, it's kind of like what it sounds when the grid is in high demand, they'll shoot out a push notification mm-hmm. to all the residents within the, uh, developers, uh, portfolio of buildings saying, Hey, you know, effectively a lot of people want to turn on their ACs. Are you open to turning off your lights, turning mm-hmm. off your AC for the next hour? And they will actually pay you right. if you choose to opt into these requests. Yes. And so it's just one example of these types of things. And I will say, you know, if you're choosing between – it's just a great reflection of the building owner – Mm-hmm. Saying, "Hey, we we we've heard your your demands, and and now it's manifesting in a product that will also pay you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you right, know? right, right." And we we do think, especially in larger urban cities, we're starting to see sort of deltas in real estate value, depending on how good the air quality, the ambient, the outdoor air quality is in the area. So we're starting to see a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we we do believe too that that you know, as we get better at measuring the productivity benefits of indoor environmental quality, we're going to start to see, you know, businesses really start to focus on that, that, that piece of their, um, of their business, you know, for a given business, 
really only 3% of their total cost is energy. 300%, sorry, 30% is closer to, and I'm going to get these numbers wrong, I'm sure, but sort of 10x that is is sort of the um, the impact of uh, the cost of human resources, right? And I'm, I know I'm going to butcher this. So, so the cost of human resources is so much higher than the cost of energy. And if you can improve the productivity by reducing, um, you know, sickness and, and sort of lost productivity and, and lethargy and fatigue, et cetera, um, companies can see a lot of benefit financially. And I, as we start to get better at measuring that, a lot of the companies that are that are tenants in these commercial buildings are going to start to look at that and look at how they can continue to improve that over time. And sometimes that's improved lighting, which has a, a multiple benefit, um, especially with, with sort of tuned LED lighting. If you can tune LED lights to circadian rhythms, you know you can get a better outcome for your employees. Sometimes it's going to be air quality, thermal quality, or even ambient noise. And so I feel like we're going to start to see that happen. And that's going to drive, you know, sort of building managers and facility managers to think to think a little differently about the services they provide and really differentiate themselves based on those types of, of, um, of, of indoor elements. Mm-hmm. Oh, the circadian rhythm lighting is super interesting too. Um, we could do a whole hour on lighting. I know. <laughs> that, that, um, that's why it's hard. Indoor environmental quality is a big topic. So b- before I, I ask my, my bookends question, I actually have been reading a lot about geothermal. I and mean, it's been around for decades, but mm-hmm. it's now kind of like come back with vengeance. And I think in the driver's seat, you know, what we're, we're where, where you work, having, I mean, you guys are quite literally the leaders in heating and cooling systems. Mm-hmm. So, and this doesn't have to be representative trains take, but maybe kind of you um, as an academic and seeing kind of what's being tinkered on. Are you bullish or bearish on geothermal? Like, is this something we should be really excited about? Is this going to be the status quo at some point in the near future? What, what are your thoughts around geothermal as a, as a solution? Um, you know, it's hard to say. And the reason I say that, I'm not, this is not a cop out, but almost pretty much like anything else in HVAC, everything is very climate zone dependent. And there's going to be areas in the world's uh, climate zones where uh, something like geothermal is going to make a lot of sense. Fundamentally, um, when we see a lot of, a lot of these, um, a, a lot of these um, sort of sustainability type solutions. Um, the biggest issue is usually the balance of upfront investment with kind of the the long term cost benefit. So so it's the same thing with with geothermal. It, it turns out the system itself is is not the worst thing in the world. It's it's all the infrastructure to get at the geothermal heat. Um, or cooling that allow that that makes it difficult. And so until we can get to a, a, a situation where, for example, for the homeowner, that makes sense, then it's going to be difficult. It becomes even more difficult for large commercial buildings because the amount of, of like, quote unquote, digging you have to do to heat or cool something as large as the Empire State Building, you can just imagine, becomes very difficult. And so it's going to be 
climate zone dependent. It's going to be application dependent. So it's hard to say I'm bullish or bearish on, on geothermal. I think like all um, all technologies, um, it's going to be, it's going to have its uses and it'll eventually get to a steady state. What I am bullish about is the technology to convert, you know, any energy into heating or cooling. And so we're really bullish on things like heat pump technology and, um, and high efficiency sort of, um, uh, high efficiency, uh, heat exchangers that allow us to then convert geothermal energy into, I mean, in, into into usable heating and cooling for the space. That I'm super bullish on. Whether or not that becomes a, you know, a water source heat pump, a geothermal sort of um, um, driven system, that will be highly dependent on, you know, sort of the cost structures there, the climate, the climate um, zone, and then obviously the application. Oh, I love that answer. And you're right. It's not as simple as a yes or no. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, Russia, I asked this question of, of every guest and it's around this notion of the idea graveyard. Mm-hmm. So my question for you is, if you weren't working on what you were working on now and you mm-hmm. had the time to work on one of these either ridiculous, crazy or virtually impossible ideas that are rotting away in your idea graveyard. What would one of those ideas be? You know, that's that's really ironic. Like in the last year and a half, we've pulled like three ideas out of our idea graveyard and commercialized them. So I was really, I'm really excited about about that. <laughs> um, you know, it, it that's a that's a tough one. Um, and the reason I say that is because my passion and 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 essentially, you know, my my. Um, my academic education is really around sustainability. And one of the things um, that I've learned um, through both working kind of in this field, but also sort of my academic work is um, there continues to not really be a silver bullet. And these are systemic sort of architectural issues. So it's hard to say this one idea is going to be the thing. I get really, really excited about ways to shift entire systems to make them open to new ideas. And I think it's that that aggregation or the collective impact of those ideas that will eventually get us over the hump, which is why I love sort of the work we do with with Project Drawdown is that it isn't a silver bullet. And I wish there was like the one idea that I only worked on 10% of the time, but wanted to work on 100% of the time that would get us there. I just think that um, it's going to take all of us implementing small ideas, sort of more and more small ideas that have a big impact that are going to get us there. So I wish I had a better answer for you. Like, I don't know, flight on Mars. I mean, I, if I did, I probably would work for NASA, but I don't. Um, but, but it's really around, you know, how do we kind of, you know, what are some of the things where we can, where we can impact the system to allow these innovations to grow and flourish and have a life and then eventually have these, you know, these really strong sort of market impacts. Oh, I love that. Russia, I, I'd love to roll the, the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners 
The floor is yours. <laughs> well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for for listening to me. And and what I would say, you know, the call to action for your listeners is look, learn learn about the indoor environments that that you inhabit every day. Ask the questions. Ask yourself the questions like, do I know how good my air quality is? Am I do I have the right kind of lighting for what I'm trying to do? Um and, once you get sensitized to that, it's amazing what you'll find. I bought a, an air quality, I have an air, a couple of air quality monitors in my house, and it's amazing how your behavior changes. But, but this is really about us collectively coming out of the pandemic stronger, and vaccines are part of it. And, um, you know, continuing to, to work with the, with the, um, with the CDC guidelines as we re- reopen and re-enter as part of it. But really the on- ongoing um, learning and understanding around indoor air quality and indoor environmental quality is really a key part of it. Look, we've grown up accepting that my kid went to school and got sick and I'm going to get sick and everybody at work is going to get sick. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't accept that, right? It, it reminds me of the little chicken pox parties that they used to do. It's like somebody gets the chicken pox, everybody get it so that we don't have to worry about it later. It, it's, it seems a little archaic, but we accept, you know, so much of this and, 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 and we shouldn't, right? There are better ways to have really high quality indoor environments. And, and we can reduce um, how much, uh, people get sick, how much pathogens are transmitted from person to person indoors. And, and I just encourage your listeners to learn and think and and make choices that allow them, and it doesn't matter what choices they make, just make the choices, to, to allow them to have really healthy indoor environments and allow them to kind of live their best life. Wow. Folks, you heard it here. Rasha, thank you so much for, for coming on the show, giving me you know a little bit of your busy day. And uh, when the next round of super cool breakthrough tech makes it out of the train portfolio, I'd love to have you on for round two. I love it. Thank you so much, Peter. And, and thanks to your listeners for hopefully listening to me. And, and I look forward to round two then. <laughs> Sounds good. Take awesome. care, Rasha. Thanks. Take care. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at PeterA11 or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.